This morning, I'm just going to read from three different places, and then I just want to share some thoughts that that I believe that God has for all of us. I believe that He has for everyone that would, you know, that He would lead to to hear the word this morning in whatever way, whether it's in person here or over the internet or on the website, whatever. And uh, I'm going to read from Psalm, the eighth chapter. I'm going to read these. Psalm chapter eight. Verse one. There's nine verses. I'm going to read them. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who has set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings have you ordained strength. Have you founded strength, the strength of your grace because of your enemies, that you might still the enemy. Notice that, that you might still the enemy and the avenger. And God would have us to know that no matter what stage of growth that you and I are in, we are his children, his technia, we are his babes. He cares so much for us. And uh, so we're his babes. We're all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus in Galatians 3 and verse 26. So Psalm 8 verse 3 says, When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, set in their place, what is man? Who am I? What am I all about? What is man that you are mindful of him and the sons of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and has crowned him with glory and honor. You made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the sea, the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Okay, that was Psalm 8, 1 through 9. Then we're going to turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. And then we will start here in verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're too superstitious. Another translation says you're too religious. And that's all religion is, is man apart from Christ trying to know God and know himself. But he said, you are all too religiously superstitious. For I passed by and beheld your devotions, those gods, small g, those gods that you worship. I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, as we just saw in Psalm the eighth chapter, we know in, in, in those nine verses, we know again 
in, in the beauty of Psalm 19, 1 through 6. And we see it again in Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 to 31, how he made that earth and everything that's there. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, long before anyone ever would try to make him Lord, he is Lord. He dwells not in temples made with hands, neither was worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he gives to all life and breath and all things. And have made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined the times before appointed and the bounds, notice this, of their habitation. Every single human being, he's predetermined it before they were born. Why? That they should, that they should seek the Lord. Notice that they should seek him. If happily, if by circumstance, if, if whatever, they might, find, they might feel after him, grope and feel after him and find him. Listen, it says, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are his, his offspring, we are his gods, we are his rulers. There, here, here is re referring to, uh, I believe it's Psalm 82 and verse 6 through 10 in those verses. In verse 29 it says, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto any image like gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at. He passed by. We see that in Micah 7, 18. He passed by those times until, obviously, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, to change their mind. Why? Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge, he will rule and judge in righteousness by that man, Jesus Christ here, whom he has ordained, whereof he has given assurance unto all, every human being, in that he has raised him from the dead. And then we'll just read in Hebrews, the second chapter. Normally, we, you know, we, God would have us to quote these, but we're going to go as he leads us this morning. This is Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip and become like vessels that are broken and it leaks out. He's referring, I believe here, to Jeremiah 2 and verse 13. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how will we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with these diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. 
For unto the angels has he not put in subjection to the world this particular age to come whereof we speak. Verse 6. Now here we see, and I believe the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is, is quoting here, but bringing out in fullness, Psalm the 8th chapter. We see in verse 6, But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or of the Son of Man that you visited him? You made him a little lower. You made him a little lower by, uh, than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of your hands. You put all things in subjection unto his feet. For in that he put all in subjection unto him, he left nothing that is not put unto him. But now we see Jesus. Yeah, but now we see not yet all things put unto him, but we see Jesus. Why? Who was made a little lower than the angels by and for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, and bringing many, not all, unfortunately, but many unto, unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. This morning as I was, I was talking to a dear friend and we were talking earlier this morning and he had mentioned that, uh, and, and I'm talking uh, about my friend, uh, Mike Fenton, that we had a time in Texas uh, for a week where God was, was pouring out and doing so much more. And I, and I love the way that God that does things. So in those that go, he does things. and those that stay, he's doing things, <laughs> always. And uh, one of the things that he, 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 he had called me this morning and he, he, made, he wanted me to know, he said that, he said, as soon as you left, people just began to struggle like crazy. And, and I know and I believe what he was, was saying, what he, what he was bringing out is, you see, God did so much in all of us. Christ was the one that was doing all of this in us. And so God puts in us uh, all this reality. We read this reality. Just think this morning, just think this morning, and what we're talking about is struggles. Something that we all do. We all struggle. And, and I had mentioned to him, I said, I don't think any of us even have a struggle. And the result of that struggle, uh, uh, sometimes that struggle, the cause of it, is God has given us so much. Then the enemy comes right in to challenge all of this. That's part of our growth. So we could look at struggles and we could become overwhelmed. We could seek to take them on ourselves. We could do that. And that brought out uh, all kinds of different principles in the scriptures. But what it brought out to me and what God's been doing in me and, and, and as he's been doing it in all of us is when we read those scriptures and when we see, even in John chapter 1, verse 1 to 18, when we look at those verses and when we see them, it brings out, 
especially in John 1, verses 1 and 2, in the beginning, the Word, the Word with God, and the Word was God, the same in the beginning with God. What that brings out is how infinite is God's preciousness that's exchanged between the Father and the Son. How infinite is his preciousness? And how precious is his infiniteness? He is infinite. When we consider the scriptures, for instance, in Isaiah 57, in verse 15, it says, God inhabits eternity. He's always been, and he inhabits eternity. Very interesting. How infinite is his preciousness? Because that's what John 1, 1 brings out. But Christ came out of that. And what we read in these verses here, and even in Ephesians, which I didn't get to read in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, which is what I wanted to read and forgot, but he didn't, is how infinite and how eternal his preciousness is, but yet how near he is to every single one of us. No, even in our struggles, he's very, very near to us. Very, very near. We have his dearly beloved in us as Christians. He, and, 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 and we are in his son. And we have these struggles. We wouldn't even, I don't even think a lot of times, we wouldn't even have, spiritually, we all, everyone struggles over the details of life. Saved or unsaved, everybody struggles over those. Struggles I'm talking about are these spiritual ones. We struggle with these things. Sometimes, like when, when Paul had said there in Acts 17th chapter and 23rd verse, when he said, I, can't, I went by and I happened to see an altar. You worship a God that you don't know and it causes ignorance in you. And see, what God is doing with us is he, he, he literally, he is so near to every single one of us. He, he listen, he knew Jeremiah in one five, it says, before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. Think about that. He knew him in the eternity of the preciousness and infinite of the love of his son with us in him. It's amazing. How infinite and eternal. How, how his ways in Romans 11, 33 and 34 are past finding out. Yet you and I are going to. Because we're going to know his love that passes knowledge in Ephesians 3 and verse 19 for all eternity. But that's where we start right now. We start literally. Be, he said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mom's belly, I knew you. How did he know us? In the infinite preciousness of who he saw us to be in his son. Yet never violating our will. None of us would be saved, obviously, without the will of God. We know that based upon Ezekiel 18 and verse 23. He's not willing that the sinner should perish. And in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to Christ. He's not. But the thing is, he's not ignorant. He, and knowing us, is not ignorant of one struggle that you and I ever have. <laughs> he's not. And yet he's very near to us. He's very near. And I think sometimes the, the struggles that come out, really, I, I, I was sharing again with, with my dear friend 
And I thought about this also with uh, with my other friend, Luke Sutton. I remember he said, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. It had to be, yeah, because I was there for a week. So it was a week back. Sometimes that's what some of us have. You ask a guy, how long has he had a week back? And the guy said, oh, since about a week back. And some of us are like that. We, 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 and we can struggle as a result of that. See, so it all fits. So one of the things that he said, uh, Luke said was, you know, I'm, we're being taught prophecy and all. He said, but the thing that I am so aware of and so thankful of and, so, and causes great joy in me is the fact of all this truth about who we are in Christ. See? And I think sometimes some of the struggle are getting to know certain things, getting to know who Christ is in us and who we are in him. We're getting to know these things. And that sometimes takes a struggle. And part of that is the enemy coming against us. You know, the, would the enemy come so against each of us? Come on, and he does. Would he? If Christ wasn't so for us, if he wasn't in us? Yes. Yes. You know, yeah, we're seeing prophecy. And yet, without Christ and the certainty of who he is and what we have in him and how close we are to seeing him face to face, Yet without him, for a moment, being completely dependent upon him and everything, who he is in us and what he's done, we could look at prophecy, cause us to struggle. Or we can look at ourselves. The enemy would cause us to look away instead of looking unto Christ in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. He would cause us to look away. And when we look away from Christ, we look within. What do we see? What do we see? Who are we without him? And is that our reality? And yet, think of how infinite he is, and yet how near he is. In that chapter in John 1, where it brings out the beauty and the eternity of this relationship between the Father and the Son, with the Holy Spirit proceeding from both, we see, we see the reality of that, and how in John 1, 1 through 4, and he's the light, of men, he's the life and the light of men in verse 4, and that light shined in, in the darkness, it says in John 1 5, and the darkness did not overwhelm it. You know, the enemy can come in and try and cause us to struggle. He, he wants us to get involved with things about who we're not even anymore, our old past, the sins that we may have committed, but and that we confess we need to, but we, we don't confess that's who we are, we confess that's what he's done about them. That's our confession. And we're not praying for forgiveness in 1 John 1, 9. We're already forgiven in Ephesians 4 and verse 32. And we're simply confessing him. We're owning that he's dealt with it. We're owning that it was something that we did. But I don't want to struggle with it anymore, do you? <laughs> you want to be occupied with yourself to the point where we forget him and all his majesty and everything of who he is and how infinite is this preciousness to us. We see that in 1 Peter 1 and verse 19, the precious blood of Christ, his life poured out for us in the uh, intimacy and depth and desire of his love for us. And I loved uh, what those uh, two men shared with me. And it just brought in, brought in a beautiful picture, a beautiful picture that, you know, we're not our struggles. Nope. They may be part of our growth, but we're not those struggles. 
We're not those. And when we do, when we do struggle, when there's things that we don't know, we have Hebrews 4, verse 14. We have a great and high priest, Jesus Christ, who's passed into the heavens. He's passed. And we don't, it's not that we don't have a high priest who can't be touched by the feeling of our infirmities, all our struggles. You know, what that brings out in Hebrews 4 and verse 15, you know, Jesus never struggled with anything about himself. Never did. Never did. He took our struggles upon himself. Did. Because he's the only one that could deal with them. And sometimes, and I spoke with my dear friend this morning, and I said, sometimes we, as, as, as under-shepherds, little under-shepherds, with Christ being the head, of the whole body and the local assembly, not the not the under shepherd, but the but the chief shepherd in First Peter five and verse four. We need to be so careful to not take on ourselves what we see others suffering and going through. We need to not take that on ourselves to the point where it removes our intimacy and Christ's preciousness within. We need not to do that. But that's why it says in Acts 6, 4, he said, we will give ourselves to prayer. And when we do, we take those with us and we take all their struggles and we put them right where they belong, with ours. We can't even handle our own struggles. None of us can. I don't care who you are. Paul couldn't handle his own. Yeah. Ed can't. Luke can't. Mike can't. Jediel can't. No, none of us can. And we certainly can't handle others. But God can allow us to, to, in prayer and dependence upon him to bring them and put them where they belong. And that's what we need to be careful, uh, all of us too. And, and, to know, and to know that even in those struggles, even in 1 John 3 and verse 20, if our heart, if our minds condemn us, these struggles, God is greater than our minds. And he knows all things. What does he know? He knows us. Like he knew Jeremiah. Before he formed them in the womb, he said, I knew you. And before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you. And I set you as a prophet to the nations. And he said the same thing to Paul. You look at Paul, how he could have known himself after all his failures and what he did to the church. See that in Acts, the eighth chapter and the ninth chapters, how he persecuted the church. And how he said that. And it could have been, he could have struggled and, and the enemy could have used those struggles that make him think he's disqualified because he didn't have anything in himself. And that's what happens. The enemy through our struggles, God can le use those struggles and to lead us to himself or the enemy wants to use them to turn us within. And that's what the, uh, the apostle Paul himself, he himself had to know that. And he said that in Galatians 1 and verse 15, he set me, he who knew me set me in my mother's womb. He knew me. While he was forming our physical bodies there and making us spirit, soul, and body in our mother's womb, is that when he started to know us? No, he knew us way back in John 1 in verse 1 in the beauty and infiniteness and preciousness of his son in us, 
knew every single one of us, knew every single struggle. And all of that was given to our Savior on the cross, every single bit of it, so that we now don't have to function in ignorance. We don't have to, we, we don't have to look at our struggles and see them ignorantly. No, but we, can, we know him. And because we know him, and he's our foundation, he's our, our Lord where we build on in Matthew 16, 18, and in 1 Corinthians 3, 11, and 12, where we build ourselves up, edify ourselves up on that foundation. Even when our minds condemn us, God is greater than our minds, and he knows all things. What is he? He knows who we are in Christ because as his son, and we read it, who's dealt with all things about us. And that includes our struggles. Did you know he intercedes for us in the midst of our struggles? And I believe in the spiritual sense, we wouldn't even have them if God wasn't so for us. So when we think about our struggles, all of us, when we think about those, and we can look at them in Romans 8 and verse 31, God for us, who against us? God for us, who against us? If God is for us, and he is, does it matter? Does it even matter who's against us? Does it? It does not matter at all. We are more than conquerors in Romans 8, 37. Who can separate us in Romans 8, 35 to 39 from the love of Christ? Who is able to separate us? Can the struggle separate us when he already knew us in his son? And his son came to be our savior. We received him. Can anything separate us from that love? And that's why it's so very important for us. And, and leaders in some sense, like moms are leaders over children. Whether we're at work, in some form, we're, we're a leader. In some form, all of us in one sense, as he leads us. In some form or another. He's the one who's leading us. And you know what? The last time I checked in Psalm 23 and verse 4, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, sometimes struggles, I will fear what? No evil. Why? Because love, his love, is casting out. And he's already dealt with every struggle that we experience. He's just seeing us through. And he's going to fill us up. In Psalm 23, 5, my cup overflows, he said. My cup overflows, meaning that he's doing more in us than for ourselves because it has to do with his glory, blessing us. But he has more to do in us and, and he's going to use us for blessings to others. That's why the cup overflows. His love flows out to others. And so we don't know ourselves after our struggles. We don't take on other struggles we can pray we pray with them and weep with them but what do we do and we'll close with this that's why it even says in leaders pastors or whatever whatever place that we have in the perfect plan of the infinite love of god what we see in these local assemblies what we see is a particular place that we have first peter 5 verse 6 says humble yourself when we struggle, what's the answer? If we're struggling, whatever it is, is it a person? Is it a bill? Is it a place? Is it something in my life? 
Whatever it is, whatever it is, what's the answer to every struggle? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you. What does it say? In due time, in his perfect time. And when it's his perfect time, it's his perfect provision. Then it says, casting all, what? Your what? Your anxiety. What causes us to struggle? We can become anxious about things. We want to know certain things when we think we need to know them. Casting all your anxiety, all your struggles on him. Because what? He cares for you. He loves you. Because we have an adversary, the devil. You know what he does? He walks about in the midst of the struggle, seeking whom he may slaughter and rip to pieces. Through all these thoughts, these struggling thoughts. And so, as we close this morning, that's what Jesus priest, Christ's priest, high priestly prayer was in John 17, 17. He said, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. That speaks of our personal, intimate relationship. And in the struggle, God is separating the thoughts that aren't of him, that come from the enemy, to bring us into his thoughts. In Hebrews 4.12, the word of the Lord is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of the soul, self-conscious, thinking apart from him, struggling. And thoughts of the Spirit, who we are in Christ. And he separates those. And his love comes in. And then finally, sometimes the darkest, the darkest part of the night is just before the light breaks through. The light breaks through. He's given us the privilege to teach us that the struggles many times uh, we're trying to fulfill a need in ourselves that he has already fulfilled, but it's in Christ. And we need to humble ourselves so that he can give us grace. He can grace us out with the reality of his son and bring us into a loving a loving and beautiful relationship. That way, we don't leave, we don't live in a false burden and a false need. False burden is thinking we, we have a need, we have to do something about it. Or someone else does. This is where pastors, even us, as, as some pass, a little under shepherds, pastors and teachers. We need not to... We don't take on the care. We take it on, but we only take it on to bring to Christ and put at his feet. And that's what Mary was doing. You see? In Luke 10, 38 to 42, Martha, she had an affection and a love for Christ, but she was struggling because she, there was distance created, even though he was right there, right there, where Mary was sitting at his feet, receiving the life that does all the serving without any irritation, without any suspicion, without any uh, burnt up energy. She was receiving his love, which is the active energy of his nature and the purity that light is, that Christ is, that was in her that she was receiving and that was in others. And so, thank God we're not our struggles. Our identity is Christ. We're not our struggles. It's part of our growth. It is. It is. It's part of our getting to grow, <laughs> I should say. It's not really part of our growth. It's it's get, bringing us to a place where we can grow. And uh, thank God that when we do fall, we can cry out in Micah 7, 
Verse 8, O rejoice not against me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. And when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light unto me. He always provides a way, experientially, back to him so we can function in our proper position. So, Lord, we thank you this morning. Uh, We thank you that our only identity is Christ and you're separating us. You're winnowing the shaft from the wheat, the corn of wheat that Christ is in each of us that fell into the ground and died for us so that we might live in him and do it and have that abundant life. Not only life in ourselves in John 10, 10 10b, but an abundant life, a capacity that pours out more for ourselves than it's for others. So thank you, Lord. I pray that you continue to bless us here in, in this local assembly here as we're starting out the way that we started out years ago in Texas. And I pray and I know and trust that you're going to abundantly bless all of those, all the portions that you have for us. The enemy doesn't want us to see. He wants us to be involved with the struggle. And yet we can be like the Israelites, Lord. We can be in our tents and think, where are we going to go now? And the whole time that they're in their tents, you're gently moving back and opening up the Red Sea and making a way, making a way. And Father, thank you. You always make us a, a way to bring us back to intimacy with Christ. Every circumstance, every situation becomes a great opportunity to receive your love, to function in it, to have it, and then to have it for each other and to share it. So we thank you, Lord, and we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.